0: It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into mysteries about true histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods.
1: So I really stress for folks that are supporting any kind of marginalized teen is really helping them understand the context of like, this is why people are treating you a certain way because you are not, your experience is not understood enough. It's not known enough. um, You are not seen enough. And this has nothing to do with who you are. It's has much more to do with society and the slow sort of evolving (laughs) of, of society
0: Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. Today's episode is a deep dive into teen identity and teen mental health, especially in the intersectional and marginalized sphere. This is such an important topic, and I am thrilled to be talking with a teen whisperer. Dr. Jen Noble, a psychologist, teen parent coach, and associate professor of psychology based in Los Angeles, California. Jen is a teen mental health advocate and is especially passionate about helping parents raise happy, confident, and secure mixed-race kids. As a mixed-race person herself, she brings clinical research and real-life nuance to her work supporting teens. In our conversation, Jen and I talk about both the challenges and importance of identity and community for marginalized teens, how parents can support a healthy racial identity for their mixed race child, and special considerations for neurodivergent teens who are developing their identity. We also talk about developmental timelines, cultural shifts, the impacts of the pandemic on teen mental health, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before I get to that, if you are new to Tilt Parenting and you found this podcast while searching for resources to support you on your journey of parenting a neurodivergent child, be sure to check out my book, Differently Wired. In Differently Wired, I share my best practices and practical advice for supporting not just our kids, but ourselves through this journey. And if you're looking to make some quick positive shifts in your day-to-day life, you can sign up for my free Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge. Every day for one week, you'll get a short daily video highlighting one actionable thing you can do right away to impact the way you think, feel, and act in relation to your child. You'll also get a downloadable mini workbook and access to a private Facebook group. And again, it's totally free. Just go to TiltParenting.com slash 7day to sign up. That's TiltParenting.com slash 7day. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Jen. Hey, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am looking forward to this conversation. And I would love if just as a way to get started, if you could take a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are in the world, what you do, and I always like to know people's personal why behind the work that they do.
1: Yes, sure, sure. Yeah, so I am a clinical psychologist, of course, but I always like to tell folks that I'm a Cali native. Um, I born and raised in California, Southern California specifically, and love everything about it. I, If I'm sort of being a self-deprecating, sometimes I call myself a Cali snob because I'll go to other places and kind of be like, ah, you don't have this in California. We do blah, blah, blah. So people roll their eyes a lot. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely a, a lover of California and I love food, world travel. Um, I love dance, but also I am a mixed race person. Um, I'm African-American and Tamil Sri Lankan. And again, I always say to people, if you don't know where Sri Lanka is, um, it's an island off the coast of India um, it is its own country. It's it's not a part of India, but a lot of people just are like, oh, I've never heard of that place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, besides that, um, I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm quite animated. Um, I'm definitely a person who's never met a stranger. But in my work world, I I work as an associate professor of psychology at a community college here in Southern California. I own a private practice serving mixed race teens. Um, I also serve Women of color, marginalized folks, and then also the parents, if they're teens, I, I work with the parents as well. And then I guess my personal why for doing what I do is because I I really believe people should be seen, especially marginalized folks. I, I just think that, you know, there are so many people with unique experiences that need to be recognized outside of whatever we think the mainstream is. And I really want to work to give those other experiences context and, um, you know, some time on stage. So it's always been important for me to kind of speak up for the underdog, if you will, or just kind of find justice for allowing all experiences to kind of exist at the same time. Um, And then I guess my most recent venture, um, I've been building a membership site for parents of mixed race kids and it's going to be a place for them to get education and uh, coaching from me and find a community of other parents who are raising mixed-race kids so that we can all work together in in raising more confident and secure mixed-race kids. So yeah, that's a little bit about me, or a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so well, let's talk first about your focus in your practice of supporting parents of mixed-race kids. Can okay. you talk more about that and why it is so important that parents get that help to support a healthy racial identity in their child. And and what does that actually look like when you're working with families?
1: Um, well, I chose this. I mean, if I could just, if I take a step back, I chose this focus because I've been doing a lot of work in the mixed race community um, really since college. And slowly but surely like working with nonprofits and in you know doing research and going to conferences and things like that I started to realize parents were coming forward and parents were coming to these events for for help and understanding and so um, I, I really decided okay that needs to be my focus because that is a, a big need out there. There are a whole bunch of parents out there that are like, please help me I, I, I want to do this right And so one of the things that I think is most important, to help a parent is to get them to the starting point of you as a monoracial parent, like monoracial being, you know, both of your parents are from the same racial group. They will never know what it is like to be mixed race period. Like they just won't know because by virtue of just not being it. So it is such a, an important place to start for a parent to realize If I and my partner are both monoracial, neither of us can provide any of the mentoring and guidance and advice and whatever that my mixed race kid is going to need because we've never been in those shoes. We've never had that experience. So for me, um, that's one of the most important reasons why I think parents need help because they don't realize how big that gap really is for their kid, you know, to sort of look at their parents and be like, you, you don't get it. You really don't get it. So, um, you know, the way that I would do that would be helping them understand like blind spots, you know, what are you not able to see, how to anticipate what their kid is going to experience in the world? Because, you know, unfortunately there's been research on mixed race kids and the mixed race experience for probably 40 years or more And we still see the same stuff coming up. So it's kind of like things have not really made a big change. So there is an experience that they need to understand that their kid will have and that they will never be able to identify with. So they need basic education on the mixed race experience. Um, For me, it's very important to help parents understand how they view themselves as racial beings. Like what has their own experience as a racial being been like and then help them realize, you know, what are some ways that I've had, you know, some negative, some positive experiences, and how will that be different or the same as my kid? And then lastly, parents really are looking for um, how to advocate for their kid. And to me, that's one of the most important reasons to do this work is because I want parents to be able to stand up for their kid, you know, how to talk to family when they say something, you know, a little crazy, how to help with school and school forms, how to talk to strangers when they come up and ask questions, like parents are really like, how do I do that? You know? So that for me, that's what that work looks like. Education, creating some sort of community, and then giving them some insight into here's what you probably don't know is going to happen. And here's how to prepare for it. (laughs) You know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking of my first real maybe awareness or introduction into the unique challenges of growing up mixed race was reading Julie Litzkot-Hame's book, uh, her memoir, Real American. And it was, you know, she just wrote so beautifully about her struggles and and how that really went into her adulthood and really reconciling Mm -hmm. growing up black and biracial in the United States and identity and all of those pieces. So I'm curious, could you talk a little more about the struggles, the challenges yeah. that mixed race teens are facing today.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest pieces that you mentioned is identity, because unfortunately, I'll make it a little bit more specific to America, although I do think that this happens in many, many parts of the world. I I, I won't venture to say all, but um this idea of specific racial categories and you or all of us needing to be just in one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that very basic like understanding that we sort of feed to everyone, it, it poses an unanswerable, like it, it poses something that, that has no solution for a mixed race kid, um, unless you allow for checking more than one box on like a racial form. And so that brings up a whole host of other problems because when we expect everyone to just fit into one box, then that mixed race person is going to get all the questions of like, okay, well, which one are you? And then well, you know, oh, well, I don't allow you to be in that box because you're supposed to look like this. And then, you know, there's all these like barriers and hurdles that they're put up against. If they try to, Fight this battle of okay, fine, I'll choose a box. It just doesn't work, and so a lot of the um, identity stuff that we see mixed race people trying to come to terms with it it often ties back to this one category only type of thing. So um, you know, if you let's say you wanted to choose a category and then. You know, so again, someone in the family is like, well, you can't choose that. You're not blah enough. You know, you don't look this enough or you don't speak this language. You can't be that. So then the kid is kind of like, oh, well, I'm not getting permission. So then what does that mean? Well, then which one do I choose and where am I allowed to be? And, you know, it starts to become like asking for validation from the outside versus really being able to come into some understanding of, oh, wait that system does not work for me. Like it just doesn't apply. And I need to do this a different way. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, I mean, you know, without talking too long, I think that that's like a crux of a lot of the work that more folks like me in this community that are trying to advocate for that really try to drive home is that, you're going to fight that battle all day. There is no such thing as just fitting into one box. It's never going to fully represent you because the one box is the problem. <laughs> you're not the problem. The the categories are the problem.
0: Yeah. And as you're talking to am I'm, I'm thinking also about gender identity, which is another yeah. thing that's just coming up so much in general with, with today's teens, but especially in the neurodivergent um, space yes. and it's really complicated. And I'd love to know, Can you talk a little bit more about the identity? Maybe that's, I feel like that's the job of teenhood, right? Is to really discover who you are. And I'm sure there's just no, not one way that that happens, but what are kind of the most important things that we do to support teens who are, who are on this journey to discover their identity? If they, especially if they have a more
1: marginalized experience. Yeah, well, especially if they're more marginalized, one of the ways of supporting the teen, in my view, is, is helping them understand the marginalized piece of it um, and really giving them context, you know, because I think so many kids who are marginalized feel the impact of being othered and then they internalize it mm-hmm. as if something is wrong with them and they're not doing it right And they need help from the outside because, you know, they're teens. They don't have all the critical thinking skills. So they're not able to sort of pan out and see this larger picture of like, oh, wait, I'm not wrong. This system that I'm trying to fit into is not quite, you know, it it hasn't adjusted for me. So I really stress for folks that are supporting any kind of marginalized teen is really helping them understand the context of like, this is why people are treating you a certain way, because you are not, your experience is not understood enough. It's not known enough. um, You are not seen enough. And this has nothing to do with who you are. It's has much more to do with society and the slow sort of evolving (laughs) of, of society. So it's sort of like, Hey, you know, you're just Ahead of the game a little bit, and that's okay. Let's build up. Let's help you understand this context, so you can build confidence in response to it. So you can build up the resilience in response to it. Because we can't change society like that, like we would like to. So instead, let's get you ready to face it, so that you don't walk around carrying that burden of like something must be wrong with me. I must be doing it wrong. You know, I'm not good Mm -hmm. enough. I'm not enough.
0: We'll be right back after this quick break. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get twenty-five percent off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com/tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com/tilt for twenty-five percent off. Do you have favorite tools or directions that you send teens and families into to get this context? Um, like, I imagine community is really important. Um, yeah. You know, spending time with with other peers who are experiencing similar things. Like, where where can parents and these teens start?
1: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, it all depends on the you know the experience itself. But I certainly, I would like. A parent or any adult that's supporting the team to start with their own education. And that really does look like, okay, let me go find a couple books. Maybe I need to watch a documentary. Let me just get my bearings first. So then I can present something to my kid. But I think if we're just focusing on the kid themselves, definitely community. If you can find a place where You know, let's say it's gender identities and there's some sort of a summer camp where all, you know, let's say a trans kid camp or something, they all can come together and be like, oh my gosh, you're this too, and you're doing this, and you felt like that, and someone said that to you, me too. You know, to me, that's one of the beauties of the internet is that a lot of these kids are able to find these communities online where they really never existed before. You could be in the corner of, whatever state, I don't know, Nebraska, some rural part of California, and then go online and really be able to talk and find people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. But I would rather a teen not do that by themselves, but have a parent that's also jumping in as well. Like, you know, let me let me help be a part of this community. I want to show you that I also am going to s- stand up And advocate for you in your marginalization, even if I'm not feeling the same thing.
0: And what about the role of neurodivergence in this identity? I'm just curious how it shows up in your work. And I imagine, I don't know if this, if I'm going to ask this question correctly, but I imagine the more pieces of a teen's identity that don't neatly fit into one box, the more complicated it is to to create and define one's identity is that yeah
1: accurate? absolutely yeah definitely it is um I think because then like I said if if there's no context the experiences just get you know personalized or or internalized as if like I said just it must just be me it's not okay I have you know dyslexia and I'm a mon- minority and I'm whatever I, I haven't really separated these things and tried to understand them. So even though I know these things about myself, I just look at negative treatment as you must not like me versus, oh, you don't understand this about me. You know, I don't know if that, that distinction is clear. And I I think that's important. And it does make it complicated when you have these multiple identities kind of stacking up on each other, because that means That teen and the people supporting him have to do the work of let's parse this out for you first so that when you go out into the world, you can hear the words that people are saying a little differently. You can hear through it and you almost hear what they're responding to instead of you must be saying this to me. Ah, no, you're actually really uncomfortable with this part of my identity because you don't understand it. Okay, I don't have to take that. Like I can, you know. I feel like I'm doing a um, superhero like blocking moves, you know? <laughs> like that's what we want the kid to be able to do to be like, "Oh no, that's not about me." And he, Boom, block that. Nope, that was about you. That was about you. You don't understand this. I know I'm okay. That's a lot of work and and the more that there are, it's very complex.
0: Yeah, so you kind of answered my question, but I want to go a little deeper. Um you talked about being able to really understand you know, no, that's your issue. This is who I am and being able to really deflect, um, you know, misunderstandings or or people who don't really see um, who these people are, these teens or young adults. So I'm wondering, you know, and I know there is no one timeline, but what is the ultimate goal in the work that you do in terms of helping these teens really integrate and own their identity? And what does that timeline look like? Like when, when do we hope this happens for young adults?
1: You know, that that's a really good question because I could say I have an ideal timeline, um, but I also just have to recognize adolescent development. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we could instill all of these things and have the timeline be like, by eight years old, before you hit middle school, you're like ready to go, um, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be the psychologist I am to sort of be like development has, we have to let development happen, which means adolescence or, or middle school, 12-ish years old is when the teen, them you know, the kid themselves is going to come into some awareness of like, oh, wait, I'm different. Oh, nobody was telling me that before, you know, even if the parents were and trying to prepare them. The kid is like, oh, you mean different, like different, different. And so then they have to start their own journey. But for me, the my belief is the preparation makes that journey a little bit smoother. And so to answer your question, um, my timeline would be by high school, you can have um, a really solid understanding of maybe I shouldn't use the word solid, but a more solid um, understanding of, of self and how you fit into the world. If you've had the ongoing support and preparation, and then by the time you get to college, you will really sort of be settled. Like, all right, I know who I am and I know where I fit and I'm going to, you know, act accordingly. Whereas right now for the folks that don't have that support, um, and I, I'm i thinking of like more racial minorities is that usually college is the place where they start that exploration and they really start to seek out, okay, let me, let me join this club. Let me take these classes. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm delving in now and I, I would love to just push that just a little bit earlier, which I do think is possible, but I don't think it's possible to skip it altogether. So it's mm-hmm. like identity and developing and, questioning who am I and what does that mean? It has to happen, but it doesn't have to be so difficult and so fraught and perhaps filled with sadness and insecurity and pain and, and you know what I mean? Self-doubt, um, those things can be managed.
0: I'm wondering if you're seeing, I don't know if a shift is the right word. I, you know, I feel like this generation of young people—they are, well, certainly way more self-aware than my generation was, which was now quite a long time ago, I'm a Gen <laughs> Xer. But, um, yeah. but I'm just wondering if, in the time you've been doing this work, if you're seeing families and kids kind of come to, you know, you said ideally we'd push this a little earlier. Like, are you seeing that that is actually happening? That we as a society are moving towards supporting young adults and teens and kids and really understanding their identity more so uh, than maybe even 10 years ago?
1: Yeah, I do think so. I mean, I, you know, there, there are so many marginalized young folks that have parents that are just diehard standing behind them, which I, I don't think was as, as common before. I think there was more of an element of I am your parent and I have a job of like maintaining you in all these various ways, but maybe it's not so much of my responsibility to um, support your identity development and affirm you in that way. Not that they're purposefully not doing it, but it just wasn't as much on the radar. And I now think parents are sort of saying, oh, wait, emotional and psychological development That is important. And that actually may allow me if I support their emotional and psychological development, I will actually be supporting their achievement and their overall well-being and like the happiness I want them to have in life. So let me step into that. And so, you know, you're seeing a lot more parents of, you know, I'm now I'm thinking of like LGBT and queer kids they're coming home at 12 and 13 and saying, Hey, you know, parents, this is what's going on with me. And those parents are like, yep, we're ready. You say no more. You know what I mean? There's no Mm -hmm. question about it. There's like, I will support you through this because I know you still have other things to do in life and this is not going to be the thing that holds you back. You know? Mm -hmm. So I I do think I've seen a shift in that way. Certainly I still think there's a a lot of room to grow. um, But I definitely have seen that shift. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I see that too, but I always wonder, is that just the people I'm hanging out with? <laughs> you know, Am I just
1: talking yeah. to the
0: right people or is that kind of a more societal shift? And I hope it's the latter.
1: Yeah. I'd like to believe it is.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after this quick break.
2: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
3: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place.
0: you work with teens. That's kind of your heart work. That's obvious in, in the way that you show up and um, on social media and 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 in the world. And I'm just, this year has been so traumatic and complicated and challenging for teenagers. And um, could you speak to what you're seeing right now in terms of teen mental health? Um, yeah. It's just so complicated right now.
1: Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's been, really fascinating and, um, honestly a little scary as well, or, or worrisome. Um, because it, in my view, it, it really wasn't so much that, at least in my experience, I didn't find as many kids were like scared of, let's say coronavirus and, you know, pandemic, they were more impacted by our response to it. So, you know, this idea of just everything is shut down and school, you know, all school is at home. And what I see or what I've been seeing is that purpose and motivation are just lost. I mean, I don't think there's one teen I'm working with right now that has not said to me at some point, what is the point, you know, like, I mean, when when I really look at their experience, I'm like, that is an excellent question because everything was taken from them. They were left with the worst part of their day, which is like the learning that happens in school while all the parents are thinking, yeah, you go to school to learn. These teens are like, no, I don't. I mean, I go, I learn because I have to, but everything else I used to get from school, which was like, support from others and like like I said, a, a purpose for just being I'm I'm supposed to finish fifth grade. like that's my purpose and um, the social and the friends and like the forced self-awareness that comes with interacting with your friends and navigating, okay, how am I gonna handle this relationship and let me talk to my friends about who said what to who. I mean, all of that was gone. Identity practice is gone. Belonging and finding where you belong. I mean, any sort of validation you might have wanted to get for just who you are and existing in the world, it's just gone. Um, And so a lot of kids were just like, What is the point? I don't feel like doing any of my work. I, you know, school is meaningless. The day is meaningless. I mean, just powerful statements. Um, And yes, I do, you know, take into account that. It is a private practice. I am, you know, providing therapy for kids who's, you know, who are already struggling in some way. But even with the high functioning kids that I was working with, it's still a shocker for maybe like a really high achieving kid to still sort of say, what is the point? I don't, you know, I just feel like I've lost my purpose. So, um, you know, I I did, of course, you know, I did see some anxiety, but I, I really just, saw that it like killed something in their spirit almost. I was just really painful to watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that idea of, you know, and what I've heard from a lot of teens is just losing faith in or lo- trust, right. In yeah. systems, in politics and like all the things, right. That are supposed yeah. to make a society work. And so I'm just curious to know, your thoughts, you know, you call yourself a teen whisperer. So I'm asking you in that context, (laughs) um, just wondering how you see teens emerging from this. Like what, what do you think they're going to take from this experience and how it's going to impact them as they move on with their lives?
1: Well, for one, I think what's interesting is that as the, as at least in Southern California, some of our schools are back in person and some of our kids have gone back to school and it is like night and day. I mean, after just one week of going to school, maybe just two or three days out of the week, it's like they've lit back up. They're sort of like, I'm able to do my homework. I have motivation when I get home. Like I enjoy the structure. I can see my teachers again. Um, and so I, I think the the basic level is like I I don't believe that we've sort of damage them forever and they're never going to come back from this. I think it's an immediate response, but on a larger level, I've seen some of the older kids and this also kind of applies. I'm doing a little bit of um, research right now as well with like low income students of color um, in higher education and a, a lot of the older high school kids and these college and grad school kids. So many of them are interested in healthcare, public health, um, and, you know, kind of things that would relate to the impact that the pandemic has had. That's what mm-hmm. I've started to see, which I, I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. I don't know if mm-hmm. they see it. and I don't know if they're putting it together that way. But a lot of them are like, oh, healthcare is really important to me or being able to, you know, make sure that, you know, people have access to the things that keep them safe and healthy. And it, it's just amazing. I'm like is it just me or is everybody wanting to work for the CDC all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, um, I think, you know, in your your question is sort of like, what do I think the impact is going to be? I think, I think it, it pulled the curtain back on how our country at least cares for all of its people. And then especially those with the most need. So if you're sort of seeing, okay, Everybody is suffering from this pandemic, but this group over here, wow, they are getting way less. They're not getting this. They need that. No one's providing this. You know, um, a lot of students I've talked to were talking about wanting to figure out how to solidify housing or because that's what they're seeing. Okay. So-and-so lost their job and then housing was impacted and healthcare wasn't available anymore. I want to work on that. I want to solve that. And I'm like, that has to be in response, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: That would be really the best case scenario, right? Like coming out of this just ready and motivated to fix the big problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. That would be exciting. Mm
0: -hmm. So um, just one last question, you know, for parents who are listening and, you know, because again, you're – you work with teens and no teens so well, what would, what is like one thing uh, that you would want parents raising teens who may be feeling ill-equipped to support them? Um, You know, maybe they're being shut out uh, from their teens lives or maybe Mm. they're just feeling like uncertain about how they can best show up for them. What would you say to them? What's, what's something they they can focus on?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it is a classic parent question of I'm, I'm getting shut out and what do I do? And then I don't know what my, I feel like I don't know what my kid needs cause they won't tell me. And then, you know, I try to ask them and they're like, I don't know, nothing. I'm fine. You know, that kind of, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. so I think for me, it would be a shift away from I was hesitating to say it the way else I'll, I'll just say the way I was going to say it. And then maybe I'll add to it. So it was, a sh- it's a shift away from actually being parent. It's like when you have an adolescent and they are pulling away, part of what they're doing is like practicing their own independence, because at some point they're going to have to be. And so they're starting to become aware of this. So they're sort of like, okay, well, let me start, let me try. Uh, let me keep my thoughts to myself. Let me be in my room. Let me, you know, make my own decisions um, and see what that feels like while I'm still at home. And so that also means that the parent has to make a shift. And that's often a really big, um, difficult transition for them because let's say for the first 10 ish years, they were used to making like all the decisions and, you know, go sit down over there. Okay. Let me do this for me now. Make sure you do that. Time to go to bed and now the kid is sort of like no i don't i don't need all of that so if you are wanting the access into like teen world you kind of have to shift to an almost peer status not all the time and not full on hey i'm your friend let's chill like that's never going to work and they're going to see through that and they're going to be like oh my god mom like i <laughs> roll but it's sort of like holding your your worries and the protecting um, and guiding that you probably want to do all the time, suspending it for a moment to kind of explore, Um, using more casual opportunities to investigate and, you know, with the facade of like, Oh yeah, you know, I don't really care. I'm just wondering about, and then gathering information. So if, if that teen can really feel you're asking to ask because you really want to know, and you're just curious about their life, they are going to feel more comfortable to tell, you know, but if, but they are very sensitive, like they've known you as long as you've known them. So they can see when you are like, extra, you know, so how was school today? They're gonna be like, Oh, my gosh, I'm not even going to tell you because then you're going to go into some lecture, then you're going to ask me too many questions, then it's going to feel like, you know, this separation between now you're telling me what to do and guiding me and it feels too smothery, and I don't like it. And it's not helpful. And it makes me worry. Um, Yeah, so I think the approach would be just the relaxed, I'm here to listen. And I'm here to be a support as you would to your own friend rather than I'm ready to give you advice and I'm ready to tell you what to do because that's going to get this shut down.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. So... Jen, this has been such a fascinating conversation. And again, as a parent of a teenager, personally, I always benefit when I get to talk about um, teen mental health with um, experts such as yourself. Um, but can you take a few minutes and tell listeners where and how they can connect with
1: you? Yes. So um, definitely, Instagram is a place where I spend most of the time. So my Instagram is Dr. Jen Psych. And that's D R J E N N P S Y C H. So I I do share a lot of things there. And then I have uh, my website. Basically, almost everything is Dr. Jen Psych. So that would be Instagram. Um, I have a Facebook page, Twitter, which I, you know, I don't hardly, I don't know, I don't understand Twitter enough yet. Um, I even have a TikTok now. But my website is Dr. Jen Psych, and that's where you can sort of learn a little bit more about the work I'm currently doing, uh, the membership site for parents of mixed race kids, and then I also have Dr. Jen Therapy as a website, and that is specifically for my private practice. Um, but I always tell folks, especially parents, to go to drjensike.com because. There's, there's more opportunity there um, for getting the help that you need. I, I, I always like to stress that just because you have a mixed kid, let's say, who is expressing some concern about, you know, maybe the way that they're treated or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean they need, quote unquote, therapy. It just might mean that you just need a little support, which is very different, um, you know, through the, the coaching that I provide. And then on my website, of course, there are free downloads that people can um, grab, which, you know, maybe books to read for your kid, um, et cetera. And then, you know, that way you'll get some emails going forward from me. So I always encourage parents to go there first rather than viewing their kid as, oh, no, my kid has a problem. They need therapy. You know what I mean? So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you for that. And listeners, I will include links to all of the resources and. URLs that Jen just shared with us on the show notes page. So definitely check that out. And I will just say I am not on TikTok. So um but I'm impressed that you are. So um maybe I'll my <laughs> husband has it on his phone, so maybe I'll check that out. But thank you again. I so appreciate everything that you shared with us today. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to connect.
1: Yes, yeah, so and thank you so much for having me. I, I love having discussions like this and especially, you know, you sound just as passionate as as I am, so it always makes the conversation much more powerful and inspirational for me. So I really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. You can find links to all the resources my guests and I discussed on the detailed show notes page. Just go to TiltParenting.com/slash podcast and select this episode. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform, editing, production, and more. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple podcasts. Thanks so much for considering. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, Stay well and take good care. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.TiltParenting.com.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)